This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, August 7th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. When President Biden moved forward with another moratorium on evictions spurred by the pandemic and pressure from his fellow Democrats, he did so against the advice of his own lawyers, previous rulings from the courts, including the Supreme Court, and a radically less serious set of circumstances than a year ago. Cato's Walter Olson takes us through the relevant facts. Let's do a little background here first. What did the CDC say? Uh, last year when you and I spoke and uh, you said that the CDC's eviction moratorium has some weak grounding in law, but probably is that wouldn't stand up to scrutiny. Yeah. It, I said at the time that uh, when the CDC, under the direction of then-President Trump, declared a nationwide moratorium on evictions, I said its legal basis for doing so was very flimsy. Uh, it uh, cited a uh, statutory provision uh, giving it uh, something of a blank ticket authority uh, to combat communicable disease epidemics as part of a list of things like fumigating arriving shipments for pests and quarantining travelers uh, who, who go across state lines, a list of traditional public health powers uh, closely linked to preventing uh, uh, traditional public health dangers. And then it said, uh, and whatever other, I mean, I I'm, I'm, don't remember the exact phrase, but 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 there was an et cetera kind of clause. Now, et cetera clauses are always dangerous. And uh, the reading that the CDC had to apply back then in order to uh, pretend to authority was that this et cetera clause um, really uh, envisioned uh, the, giving the CDC a power over the entire national economy, o- over contracts between uh, landlord and tenant in all 50 states, over uh, a power to rewrite contracts, a, a power to uh, prevent the operations of uh, state and municipal courts uh, to handle certain businesses. Um, in short, something of an absolute power over a very far-flung section of the economy. And if they did have that power, then uh, you may well ask, and federal judges did ask in the course of the litigation, wouldn't that amount to giving them complete power over everything? Uh, And so I cited a famous line from uh, Justice Antonin Scalia about statutory interpretation, which is that uh, Congress does not hide elephants in mouse holes. And by uh, referring to hiding elephants in mouse holes, he meant that uh, a seemingly normal, uh, boring, ordinary statute uh, does not usually use miscellaneous language somewhere along the line to do something drastically out of scale, uh, as well as out of uh, general harmony with the um, uh, pur- purpose on, on paper of, of what the statute is about. Uh, I think it fits the situation perfectly. Um, Congress, in enacting the statute about traditional public health functions uh, that the federal government might have, was not trying to smuggle in, nor should we interpret it as, as having smuggled in dictatorial power over all aspects of society. So, in response, what did courts tell the CDC and the Biden administration about this eviction moratorium? 
It, it was, of course, sued in uh, multiple courts, not multiple federal courts, and uh, took quite a while to percolate through the uh, system. Uh, the CDC did not lose all the cases, but it certainly, uh, from what I can tell, lost most of the cases. And in particular, it lost cases at the appeals court level. And then when the Supreme Court was presented with a stay question, and uh, lawyers can go on about how the issues are framed in a slightly different way when it's a stay. And, and this was uh, not a fully argued case, nor did it result in full majority and minority opinions. But the Supreme Court came out with an uh, unusual but not unprecedented um, uh, five to four decision, or really four four to four with one in the middle decision, uh, in which the only justice who wrote, uh, giving his reasons was Justice Brett Kavanaugh, the one in the middle. And f the four liberal justices had taken the view, uh, no, um, uh, the, at this level of considering a stay, uh, we are not going to declare the thing, uh, to be unlawful. Um, that doesn't mean that they might not look seriously at the issues of illegality once it was briefed. Uh, you shouldn't assume that the four liberals would vote to uphold what the CDC did. On the other hand, you probably can assume that the four conservatives uh, when I say four liberals, by the way, that's the way that uh, just, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts and the three liberals uh, voted. Um, However, uh, four conservatives would have given the Alabama Association of Realtors relief uh, and did clearly signal, even though they didn't write an opinion, that they considered the CDC's action to be unlawful, to be un ungrounded in, in, in statute. And then in the middle, there was Brett Kavanaugh, who joined Roberts and the liberals uh, on the stay issue, again, on this procedural thing, but wrote a little explanation saying, uh, in my view, you know, they can't possibly justify having this authority, but it's going to expire in a matter of weeks anyway. And rather than upset the apple cart, uh, I, I'm going to withhold this relief for the Alabama realtors um, on the understanding that um, uh, Congress would have to go back and enact something um, that was much more clearly designed to give them this power, um, uh, or else uh, Al Alabama realtors would just win outright. So you had Kavanaugh taking a position and the four conservatives clearly taking at least a strong and probably a stronger position that the authority just wasn't there. And as a matter of convenience and prudence, uh, Kavanaugh was going to give them a few weeks, not an unusual judicial resolution when the government is found to be doing something illegal. Uh, you don't necessarily uh, pull down the columns of the building that has been constructed. You may give them time to, with all deliberate speed, you know, move over to a legal setup. And that's what Kavanaugh was doing. But so the court had spoken, and it had spoken, in my view, clearly and intelligibly. Um, uh, it, I stress that we don't know whether uh, Roberts or the three liberals might also have come along with some of this because their view was purely procedural. But I think we can know uh, to a good degree of certainty that for five justices and majority, um, the CDC just doesn't have this power. Uh, this uh, new moratorium issued by uh, the CDC with apparently the full support of the president of the United States uh, was after courts uh, rendered these uh, their various opinions. So is there any doubt that the Biden administration 
is aware that what they are doing is illegal? I would put it that way. They could raise objections or quibbles, call them what you will, but, uh, you know, their lawyers, uh, well, let's talk about what their lawyers have said, because it, it's a way of understanding, uh, President Biden's own best judgment of what was going on, because, uh, he explained, uh, in quite recent, uh, uh, days that uh, he had quizzed his lawyers. He had asked whether there was any way of interpreting uh, the legal situation so as to preserve the authority. And he had been told, no, the weight of opinion is that you don't have the authority and we don't see any uh, uh, way out. Uh, so he said that, his spokespeople said that. And then after political pressure, he did the old switcheroo. Now, the argument uh, that... Uh, they are now offering is, well, it's not the same moratorium. We've changed around a little bit. We've exempted uh, the, it's something like 10% of uh, the country that has the lowest virus incidence, and we're not going to presume to cover them. So it's only a 90% uh, rather than 100% version of what happened before. A couple of problems. First, that very issue came up a few days earlier, and the president said that the lawyers had advised that that also would not fly legally. And of course, the lawyers were right. It's not a different in concept thing where suddenly statutory authority appears miraculously um, when you didn't have it before. Uh, it is instead a uh, not very different, uh, not really more rational or less arbitrary uh, uh, attempt to create a different case so as to prevent uh, the um, uh, audience from noticing that there is on-point precedent that they're defying. And so, um, you know, it just W wouldn't fly in most most courtrooms. If you know, if the court had dealt you a loss uh, on a certain basis, and you would come back saying, uh, "Oh, look, I've reshuffled the old hands, and now I've got a three of diamonds instead of a three of hearts," uh, and, and otherwise holding the same hand, uh, the court would say, "Get out of here!" You know, you you are trying to evade uh, the precedent that you had earlier sought and gotten. So, if I'm a landlord, and uh, it's it's notable here that. This moratorium uh, extends to couples making up to $198,000 a year who believe that uh, they would be rendered homeless if the moratorium did not continue, that they've had trouble paying rent, etc. That's a whole other issue. Yeah, it is remarkable that the... Um, the twin rationale of the original moratorium, uh, namely that uh, there might be contagion from making people move from a two-bedroom to a one-bedroom apartment, or there might be contagion from having the sheriff and the movers, uh, you know, crowd into the apartment while vacating it or ordering it vacated. Uh, to the extent that there was ever, and, and the second rationale, by the way, was that we're in an economic emergency. Um, you know, the economy is in free fall, it was certainly widely believed some of these things in the early weeks and, and, and first few months. But neither the contagion rationale nor the economic rationale looks anything like the way it did more than a year later. You have the you have the vaccine. 
So the sheriff and the moving van employees uh, and pretty much everyone else uh, who is above 16 can protect themselves from uh, for free, because the vaccine is free, uh, from uh, the alleged uh, uh, dangers of having to get too close to each other uh, while moving to smaller quarters. Secondly, the economic rationale, which is, it was always wildly overbroad, uh, not just because of that income threshold, uh, but because the people were uh, invited to take advantage of it based on unilateral declarations of, uh, I'm afraid that the new lodgings I would move to would be smaller than the current ones. Uh, you know, and so th there is no uh, objective uh, attempt to bring in um, uh, any hardest cases kind of thresholds. It's just kind of, um, you know, br bring in a note that you could be written yourself to a large extent. And so um, the idea was. Uh, full of pretext. It was full of after-the-fact rationalization. Uh, it was a crowd-pleasing measure as far as the political reception, and yet it was an assault, as libertarians should always be on the lookout for an assault against uh, a defined minority, namely apartment owners, and those who, who may indeed have uh, fewer resources and lower incomes than the tenants who are stiffing them. Um, the, it did not in particular distinguish between tenants who um, uh, genuinely had no other means of going on, and um, tenants who might have been employed, you could be well employed and, and stick with this, tenants who might be leading to all sorts of good lifestyles and simply chose to inflict this damage on their landlords. So uh, to the extent that landlords, who, as you know, may be making less money than the, the tenants that uh, uh, are stiffing them, uh, this looks like a textbook regulatory taking. It is a textbook regulatory taking. And one thing that landlords stress is that when you've allowed, when the law has allowed arrears of months and months and months of rent to pile up, uh, in most cases, the landlord is never going to get that back. You know, theoretically, uh, they could try to get it back, but in most cases, the tenant can negotiate most or all of it away, uh, or simply um, uh, ignore it, and 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 you're not going to catch up with most of the money. So that is a, a large lump sum uh, that has been effectively expropriated uh, for the benefit of a third party, and. So, in fact, there have been a couple of lawsuits already saying that this is a uncompensated taken. And Cato listeners know that the courts have been very unsympathetic to property owners on uh, regulatory takings uh, arising from rent control or controls on eviction or uh, compulsory renewal of leases, a, a whole range of things that I think logically should count as regulatory takings. The courts have refused to recognize as such and have refused to order compensation. On the other hand, the Cedar Point Nursery case this year um, represented something of a um, win for property owners who got recognition of um, genuine property losses through occupation, in, in that case by union organizers. And it's caused some uh, people to hope uh, or fear, depending on which side they're on, that maybe the court will revisit some other regulatory takings issues too. Uh, it's an area of law that has long deserved reconsideration. Uh, will it get it? 
what's going to happen in the courts now? There have already been a couple of actions filed, and indeed emergency actions filed by, I believe, the Alabama and Georgia Associations of Realtors. And I mentioned that the court's handling of the first round of challenges was relatively leisurely um, and took quite a few months. Uh, Biden himself, in really remarkably candid comments to the, the press, which I, I wonder why they didn't advise him against this, suggested that stalling for time and uh, simply postponing the uh, legally inevitable was an objective of, of what he had done. Now, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty brazen to say, we know we're going to lose, but we're uh, trying to get a few more months. Uh, you know, if, if Tennant said that uh, about a, a, an occupancy situation, the landlord would rightly be angry. And I think the landlord would rightly be angry at the president saying, we know we're going to lose, but we're stalling for time. Now, someone else who gets angry sometimes at this is the courts, because the courts are more likely to fast track the hearing of uh, challenges of this sort when they believe that the court's own authority has been um, the subject of nose-thumbing. And I think we have just seen a um, gigantic and gaudy nose-thumbing from the, uh, the Oval Office. So President Trump's CDC issues this moratorium. We should we should note this was in March of 2020 when pretty much everybody was very confused and a lot of people were scared and uh, very concerned about the fallout in the economy and that sort of thing. Uh, This is August 2021. Courts have spoken uh, on this issue. The Supreme Court, at the very least, said pretty clearly, come on, man. And uh, now the Biden administration, having uh, made clear, uh, at least Joe Biden has been ma- making clear, I this is probably authority I don't have. Uh, we're going to do this anyway. We're mainly do where we are largely doing this to stall for time. Uh, in a sense, he's he's admitting all of the things that would make him standing up on January twentieth and swearing an oath to obey the Constitution, that would seem like he's just saying, yeah, what are you going to do about it? You know, the presidential oath of office, is it like pie crust? Is it only made to be broken in the first place? I mean, that that seems to be the the modern view of a lot of presidents, and we could go through the list. Um, You know, several of us tried to come up with parallel examples of where, uh, and and of course, it's not that hard to find instances of presidents doing things that they're pretty sure— uh, the courts will find unlawful. It is unusual in this case for them to do so so soon after the Supreme Court, not just the lower court, has given a pretty clear indication of what it views the law to be. Uh, that's what's new here, and that's what ha- could make you despair about whether presidents will ever be uh, mindful of their oath of office if they can get away with not being. So why not impeach a president over this? Impeachment is up to the houses of Congress, and uh, they've got their own standards, which seem to depend very heavily on whether the president's party has enough votes to stave off the process. Uh, Not too much more to say about it, except that as precedent, every time one of these things is allowed to happen, every time a president gets away with one of these things, the bar falls further, and the next president is invited 
It's an engraved invitation for the next president to be even more brazen. We don't know what the issue will be. We don't know whose interests are going to be ravaged next time, but it's an engraved invitation for presidents to ignore the law in the future. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 